Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Go to 1 John 3 for the sake of time tonight. 1 John 3. I won't have time to go back through everything we talked about this morning, but we are talking about why Jesus came, our redemption story, our salvation story. Understand clearly of what we've already touched on. The first three things we talked about, number one, the very first reason why Jesus came was to do what? Restore God's presence back to us. When man sinned, God's presence left man, and therefore he could no longer experience the glory of God, the literal manifest presence of God upon his life and in his life. But Jesus made it possible for us to get that presence back. The moment you and I get born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and we're reunited with the presence of God. As the Bible says, we become one spirit with the Lord. So that, to me, without a doubt, is the key thing, the most significant thing of what everything else we talk about literally keys off of is the fact that we have God's presence back within our life. <clears throat> that confirms all of everything else of why Jesus came. Number two, he also came to do what? Restore our true identity. By regaining our true identity in the Father and not in the creation, we now find true value and worth and security in who we are in Christ. The Bible's clear. The, the Word of God reveals over and over again the difference between true, uh, tr- uh, excuse me, the difference between identity in the creation or true identity in the Creator. And our identity literally came from the Creator. That was lost, of course, as we showed you in the fall. But thank God Jesus got it back. Yes, you and I don't have to get the approval of other people. Our approval from God is not based on what we do or don't do. It's totally based on what Jesus did. He accomplished that for us to be righteous and therefore be right with God. Amen? Amen. Number three, he also did what? Restored to us our God-given authority. God gave us authority to subdue the earth. His plan has never changed. When Jesus left the planet, he said that he now has authority of all of heaven and all of earth and he told us to go transferred that position of authority to us to be able to go do his work on this earth walk in victory as a child of God that kind of leads into this fourth area that we've talked about so when God told Adam and Eve if they ate of that tree in the garden they would die he was referring to something that was obviously not here which is death and when death came they didn't die instantly physically but obviously physical death was included that they eventually would. But death also includes what? All the works of, dev- of the devil. All the works of darkness. There was no aspect of any work of darkness in the earth until after man sinned. We know according to Romans chapter 5, because of sin, death came. And we could also say because of sin, what else came? The works of darkness. But thank God Jesus did something about it. So let's read this verse again. 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, we're going to look at one verse here. We're going to pick up where we left off this morning. Verse 8 says that he who sins is of the devil. Now that phrase there in the Greek language actually is he who practices sin. He who practices sin. If you want to see the context, verse 4 says whoever commits sin, notice also commits lawlessness, and sin is what? Lawlessness. 
Verse 5, and you know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away what? Our sins. And in him there is what? No sin. sin. Whoever abides in him, Jesus, does not what? Sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now how could that be possible when believers who are born again have actually still missed the market times in sin? Because again, if you look up the phrase here in the Greek language, it's talking about practicing sin. Practicing sin. The original Greek language says if you abide in Jesus, you do not practice sin. If you're born again, you don't, what you practice, you get good at. And if you're born again, guess what? The born again believer does not have a desire within their heart to do anymore. Sin. So we're not practicing sin because clearly we don't desire to have anything to do with it. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He tells you this, he who practices righteousness, doing what's right, is righteous just as he is righteous. But he who sins or practices sin is of the devil, meaning he never was born again. So somebody really continually practicing sin, another way to say it, would be living in willful sin with no conviction at all about the sin which they commit. That person clearly is not born again because has anybody sinned since you've been born again? Have you had conviction in your heart because of it? Yeah, so clearly again, because you're born again, that conviction comes proving I belong to God. But he who practices sin with no conviction is still of the devil, not born again. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. But this is what I want to get to. For this purpose, the Son of God was what? Manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might destroy the very works of the devil. So number four, the fourth reason why Jesus came, he just told you, was to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. Now when you see, again, the word death relating to the fall of man's sin, that includes the works of the devil or the works of darkness. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no fear. There was no torment. There was none of that on the planet before sin. All that entered because of sin, which is a part of death or the works of the devil. But what did Jesus do? He destroyed the works of the devil. Again, I like the amplified version on this because... Amplified translation, the original Amplified, just kind of brings out what's already there in the original Greek and Hebrew language. Verse 8 of the Amplified says, He who commits sin, who practices evil doing. Because that's what it says in the Greek. He is of the devil. He takes his character from the evil one. For the devil has sinned and violated the divine law from the beginning. This is the reason. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, visible, was to undo, say undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works the devil has done. So, the, so literally Jesus has come to do what? He has come to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works the devil has done. Go back to Romans 5, where we were this morning. Romans 5, so you can see clearly that that is one of the reasons Jesus came. Now he didn't do that for him, he did that for me and you. Romans chapter 5, when he lived on this planet as the Son of God, he was in no way affected by evil. Obviously, if he had been, he'd have sinned, and therefore we couldn't have been saved. So he wasn't affected by it. It was so that you and I could no longer be under the rulership of it. Now I want you to just simply really tune in with your spirit, because I want you to get this tonight. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 5 verse 6, and I want you to understand clearly What Paul is talking about as it relates to a comparison here of what happened when Adam sinned, death came, 
But then what happened when Jesus came and therefore made us righteous and gave us life? So I want you to see this. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. We're going to read that back to these verses again. For when we were still without strength, before we were born again, why were you without strength? Inability to save ourselves. Notice, in due time, Christ did what? Died for the ungodly. So that would have been me. Seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. None of us were righteous. Notice, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Was anybody good before they got born again? You might have thought so. But there was an actual person who came to Jesus and actually asked about this. Rich young ruler. Right? Good teacher, what must I do to enter the kingdom? What was Jesus' response? Jesus' immediate response, there's none good but one, and that's God. Nobody in the relationship to what we walk out on this planet, however good we think we are, really is good other than God. Why? Because we've all sinned. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were either neither righteous nor good, still sinners, what did Christ do? Tell your neighbor, I'm glad about that. Verse 9, much more than... Having, notice this, now been justified by his blood. Underline that. So what we want to focus on tonight is understanding what is significant as it relates to these works of the devil that Jesus has clearly, according to what 1 John 3 said, what he has clearly dealt with and destroyed. In relationship to that, how did he do that and how do we take, the, take advantage of that? So <clears throat> here's the key, justified by his blood refers to as if you and I had never sinned, just as if. We had never sinned. You and I being born again have been justified, which the other phrase for that in the Greek language, if you look it up, means to be declared righteous or right with God. The moment you're born again, you have received the gift of righteousness. You're considered right with God, and that was all done by what? What was it done by? Look at the verse. Justified. Say it, by his blood. Your efforts didn't make that happen. The blood of Jesus accomplished that. So notice this again, having now been already, having now been justified, made right with God by his blood, we shall be what? Saved from wrath through him. That is the punishment of God to come. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. In other words, before we knew Jesus, Jesus provided what was necessary for us to be reconciled to God. Notice this, much more than, watch this, having been reconciled. So once you're born again, he already have been reconciled. We shall be what? We shall be what? Last part of verse 10. Saved by his life. So what are we going to be saved from? The works of darkness. From death and the works of darkness. So when you refer to death in relationship to what came to mankind through sin, you're not just referring to physical death, we're referring to the works of darkness itself. All that came as a result of sin within the work of death itself. Verse 11, not only that, but we also rejoice. What do we do? Are any of you rejoicing about this? We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received what? So not only justified, we've been what? Reconciled. So we went through these about identity. These are two of the keys to identity, justification, reconciliation. Because I've been reconciled to God, what do I now have from God? I I have his total acceptance. He accepts me for who I am because of what the blood of Jesus accomplished for me. Amen? And that's why I don't need anybody else's acceptance. 
I don't have to have your approval and acceptance of what I do because I'm already accepted by God. Can you say amen? amen. Moving on, verse 12. Therefore, because of all of that, because of all of what he did for us, notice this, just as through one man, Adam, what entered the world? Sin, sin did. And what came through sin? Yeah. Death, which includes what? All the works of darkness. So you could say it this way. Just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and therefore death and all the works of darkness through that sin, thus death what? Spread to all men. Because all what? So all who have been affected by the sin in some way have been affected by the works of darkness. But what did it say in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8? He was manifest... To destroy the works of darkness. So this is the comparison here. Verse 13. Until the law, talking about the Mosaic law and the Ten Commandments. Until the law, sin was in the world. So until the law came, nobody really knew the actual aspect of their sin. Because there was no understanding of right from wrong in relationship to is this wrong, is this right. As a law established by God. The Ten Commandments proved that you had done wrong because, example, one of the Ten Commandments, is it okay to lie? What's that prove if you've ever lied? You've got sin involved in your life. Is it okay to take God's name in vain? Another one of the commandments. So until the law, Mosaic and the Ten, Ten Commandments, was in the world, sin was, uh, sin was still in the world, but it was not imputed, verse 13, when there is no, is no law. You don't hold somebody accountable for something they don't know that it was obviously a violation of God's law. That's why God established the law. Verse 14, nevertheless, death did what? <clears throat> it rained from Adam to Moses. So even though he couldn't hold them accountable yet for that because they didn't know based the law was not here, based on any law not being available for them to know that, guess what? It still does not mean death didn't rain. It did. The works of darkness you see all the way from Adam to Moses was working into this, uh, into this earth and people's lives. So nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Now, what does that mean? Adam was told directly, don't eat that tree, eat of that tree, but he did. <clears throat> so even though beyond that, people committed sins in which God did not say directly, don't do this, don't do this, that came with the law, that sin still affected them. Which was resulting in what? The works of, of darkness or death. So again, he says, even according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, others had sinned. Who is the type of him? Adam was a type of Jesus who was what? Who was to come. 15, for the free gift. Say free gift. Free gift. It's not like the offense, the sin that Adam committed. For if by one man's offense many did what? Many died or were affected by death. Much more... Much more, notice the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, say one man, the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ did what? Abounded to many. So this one offense of Adam obviously caused death to reign in the earth and now obviously have its impact and effect in the earth, but one man's righteous act did something about that. I said one man's righteous act did something about death. It gave us the very ability to walk in Zoe life, the Bible teaches. So he tells us clearly here again, it is by this gift, verse 15, that was given to us by this one man, Jesus Christ. Does anybody know what that gift is he's talking about? The gift of righteousness. He's about to tell you that. Right standing with God. 
16, you're still with me? And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. That's being separated from God. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, the sins of man, resulted in what? Justification. Because of the sins of man, clearly, what needed to happen? Somebody needed to come and therefore do what was necessary to make it possible for us to receive justification or right standing with God. 17 is our key verse. For if by one man's offense, Adam's sin, what reigned? So this is what I want you to see. If by this one man's offense, death reigned through the one, and it did, and it still has its effect in this earth, much more, say much more. Notice who he talks about here. Those who receive. I want you to see that right there. Those who receive what? Abundance of grace. And here's the gift. The gift of righteousness. What will they do? They will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 17 in its original text is telling you this. Because of this one man's sin that was committed, death came, including the works of darkness, and did what? Reigned in this earth. But because of those who have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, what's he telling you? You no longer have to have the works of darkness reign in your life. You can now have what? Zoe life reign over you. You will reign in life, zoe. So the word life there is zoe in the Greek, meaning life as God has it. So what he's saying is once you've received the abundance of God's grace and the gift of righteousness, what can now reign in your life? Zoe. And if zoe reigns in your life in relationship to how you live, guess what's no longer reigning over you? Works of darkness. Because Jesus did what? He destroyed them. He did what was necessary for us to be free from that. Verse 18 goes on to tell you, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. He just keeps making this comparison. Back and forth, back and forth. One man's offense, Adam's sin, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, separation from God. Even so, through one man's righteous act, underline that. Through one man's what? Righteous act. Nothing you've done or I've done, but what Jesus did. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to what? All men. Resulting in what now? Justification life. Or in other words, I've now been given justification, the right to reign in Zoe life. I've been given the right to be freed from the reign of death. Even though it was in this earth all this time because of sin, Jesus did something in my life and yours. And if you've received Christ Jesus as your Savior, you now have the ability to reign in Zoe life. To get free from the reign of the works of death. Could I get an amen on that? 19, for as by one man's disobedience again, many were made sinners, so also by what? One man's obedience. Many will be made what? Why are you made righteous? Because of one man's obedience, Jesus. Because of what he did. 20, moreover the law again entered that the offense might abound. In other words, so that now people would know that they have sinned. The Ten Commandments reveal that. Romans 3.10 right before this tells you that the knowledge, the, excuse me, that uh, the aspect of the law brings the knowledge of sin. Those Ten Commandments reveal. If you, we've taught you this before in witnessing to people. If you're going to witness to people like Jesus did, I'll guarantee you, you'll meet some people who will think, well, I'm good enough to go to heaven. I ain't never murdered anybody. 
But what proves the fact that you're not good enough to go to heaven? The Ten Commandments. You walk through the Ten Commandments and you find out that they violated one or more. The Bible said if you violated one, you violated all. Meaning that the reason you violated those commandments is because of the old sin nature that came about when you became knowledgeable about sin. But thank God Jesus did something about it. So again, verse 20 The law entered that offense might abound so people would be aware of their sin. But where sin abounded, guess what, church? Grace Grace abounded much more. So God's grace was far sufficient to bring us out of that sinful state, give us a brand new spirit, and therefore bring us back under the reign of Zoe life. Zoe life. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in what? Death. Even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Back to verse 17 where we want to get a hold of. I want you to get this. For by one man's offense, Adam's sin, what reigned? What came and reigned? Death, which also includes what? All the works of darkness. All that was reigning in life, but those who again, much more, who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness can now do what? Have Zoe life reigning in them. We no longer have to be ruled by the works of darkness. I said, we no longer have to be ruled by the works of darkness. Go on to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. I want to touch on this for a minute before I get more of these verses in you. Tonight, I just want to work on showing you scripture after scripture that reveals very clearly for you and me the works of darkness in our life has been dealt with and should not reign in our life any longer. And I'm going to reveal, you, reveal to you directly, I already shared them with you this morning, what those works of darkness are. According to the Bible, Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight. Remember, he talked about the fact there is no condemnation for those who've been justified. Condemnation again means what? No separation from God. Damnation for, you know, when you go witnessing to somebody and say you're condemning me, if they're not born again and they're a sinner, are you really condemning them? As long as you're not telling them that I happen to know you're going to hell for eternity. Do you happen to know that? You don't know that because you don't know if they'll get born again or not. You don't know if they give their life to Jesus or not. When the Bible tells us not to judge, it's not talking about dealing with what they're doing is wrong. If you as a parent raising your kids never judge what your kids were doing is right or wrong, your kids are going to be in a whole lot of trouble. So the Bible tells you and me as believers, we have the right to judge all things, say things, not people. We don't judge people in relationship to condemning them to say, I happen to know because of your lifestyle, you're going to hell for all eternity. You don't know that. Only God knows the heart of man, whether they're born again or not. Amen? So when you talk to people in relationship to salvation, talking about the aspects of the law and sin, they often say, you're condemning me. No, I'm not. You know what the Bible says? You're already condemned. You already are. I'm here to help you no longer be condemned. I'm here to help you get out of condemnation. And that's what the problem is. A lot of people don't understand condemnation. Little side note. Here's the difference for the believer. Do we as believers any longer deal with condemnation? No, we're not separated from God. What do we deal with as believers? Conviction. Is it okay to be convicted as a believer? You better believe it. The the Bible's clear that you and I still want to receive this conviction in our heart because that means we are born again and we get convicted when we do wrong. To reveal that that's going to hurt my life if I keep going that way. Aren't you glad God gave you the ability to know that's going to hurt my life? That's called conviction. That's not called condemnation. 
So understand the difference. As a believer, we don't face condemnation as I'm about to read, but we do still deal with conviction when we do wrong. And that's just so you can turn around and get back on the right track. I'm glad to know if I'm going down a dead-end road that's going to wind up causing harm and hurt to my life, God will help me to be convicted by my Spirit and the Holy Spirit to turn around and start going the right direction. Thank God for God's help to do so. You know, people who would say that God doesn't convict would be like saying that as a parent, well, I'm never going to tell my child when they do wrong because I don't want to upset them. Okay, let them hurt their life then. Let them do things that are going to totally destroy their life because you're not willing to tell them when they're doing wrong so you can turn them around and do what's right. Amen? I said amen. I see Nicole talking to her mama about that. Praise the Lord. Romans 8 verse 1. Now, notice this. There is therefore now no condemnation to who? Tell, come on. Tell me out loud. To who? To those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're born again, guess what? You're, there is no longer for you. Condemnation. Meaning simply, you're no longer separated from God. Say again, I'm glad about that. Notice, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to what? Now, I won't have time to get into this tonight. We're going to pick this up on Wednesday night. But I'm going to tell you right now, you got to understand that if you walk according to the flesh as a believer, guess what you're going to feel like? Separated from God. Right? Is there anything good in the flesh that dwells? Nope. If I follow my flesh according to the Bible, New Testament, if I sow to the flesh, what do I reap? Corruption. Corruption. Is that good? That ain't good. That'd be the works of darkness. So clearly if I walk according to my flesh, could I feel condemned? Sure you could. Are you? No. No, you're not. So understand if you walk according to the flesh, you may feel condemned or separated from God, but you're really not. The devil wants Christians to believe they are so they don't run back to him and receive the help he provides. Amen? So again, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to what? The Spirit. What we know in our heart and bear witness with the Holy Spirit, we are. We're children of God. Verse 2 is what I want to get to. Listen to this. You ought to have the whole verse highlighted, underlined, or pointed out in your, in your Bible. For the law of the Spirit of life. The Spirit of what? Life. So this refers to, again, Zoe life that came to us by way of the Spirit. Zoe life, the God kind of life that came to us by the Spirit. This law... Of the spirit of life. So when we think of law, you know, most people when they think of law in the natural, they think of do's and don'ts, right and wrong. That's not what this word means. This word means a rule, an established rule. Okay, there's an established, literal in the natural, what we call a rule of gravity or a law of gravity, right? And honestly, you ought to be glad you got it because if you didn't, you'd be floating around the universe somewhere. It, it is not something of a do and a don't situation. It's a rule that helps us to be able to live out on this planet what God wants us to live out. This word here for the law of the spirit of life doesn't mean a do and a, do and a don't. It means a rule. <clears throat> it means a rulership or a power or an authority. So notice again, this rule of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has done what? <clears throat> now, if you're not going to shout about this, and I know there's not a lot of, a lot of you in here. But you, this, if you get a hold of this in your spirit, and that's why I'm spending extra time tonight by the leading of God on this to share these verses with you, it has made me free from what? The law so read it according to the, what that word means in the Greek language. The rule. The rule of the spirit of Zoe life in Christ Jesus has done what? It has made me free from the rule 
of what? Sin, which resulted in death. death. What's death again? Amen. Works of darkness. Yeah. Works of darkness. What has Zoe life, the rule of Zoe life done? It has freed me from the rule of the works of darkness. So once again, this is just another verse confirming to us that Jesus fulfilled what 1 John 3, 8 said. He destroyed for us the works of darkness. He made it possible for us to no longer be under that rule. God doesn't want you to be ruled by anything of sin and or the works that come as the result of it, which includes all the aspects of the works of Satan. So understand this. You and I have the ability, therefore, to live in this liberty. Why would he tell us if it wasn't available? There are Christians still affected by the rule of the, of the context of death or the works of darkness. But we're going to help you understand. If Jesus set us free from it, surely we can walk in victory over it. Yes, can I get a better amen? amen? Notice this. Verse 3. For what the law, talking back to the Mosaic law again, relationship to what all they had to uphold through the Mosaic law, what the law could not do, and that it was weak to the flesh. In other words, it could not free us from this work of death. The law couldn't do it. God did by what? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. What did he do? He condemned sin in the flesh. So the law could not ever free us from the works of darkness or death. But Jesus did. <clears throat> That's all he's saying. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not again walk according to what? The flesh, but according to what? <clears throat> that just means... We don't live our lives any longer through the view of the old fleshly nature. We now live our lives through the view of the new spirit man within. Of who God says we are. Not who you think you are. Not who you feel you are. Not what somebody else tells you are what you have or don't have. See, because the world will try to in every way convince you that you're still under this work of death. They'll talk to you about all kinds of stuff that you've been freed from. That they'll see in your outer nature that they'll say is still a part of you. But the truth is, if that was a part of you, then this outer person would then go into all eternity. But he's not going to. You're a spirit who has a soul who simply is living in a body which is made from the dust or dirt of the ground. So again, verse 4, this righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, believers, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So if we want to walk in this new law... What do we got to do? We got to renew our minds to stop seeing ourselves through the flesh and start seeing ourselves through the spirit. Because this is what's going to help liberate us from the works of darkness. Not our acts of righteousness. Come on, not our good living. No, it's us seeing ourselves through the spirit, which by the way will change how we live and help us understand the liberty we have. Amen. Verse 5 goes on to say, For those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? <clears throat> so they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, what do they do? <clears throat> They're clearly setting their mind on the things of the Spirit. They've renewed their mind to see themselves the way God does. To be carnally minded is what? So what would that mean? As of what we're learning, what would that mean? If I'm carnally minded, the works of darkness can still have rulership over my life. See, carnally minded is, I think, carnal. Well, come on, man, it's flu season. You know, I always get the flu, carnal mindedness. Didn't Jesus do something about that? Didn't Jesus do something about the ability to heal your body, to keep you well? 
Yes, he did. See, the way that carnal people think and even religious carnal people think is, well, come on, everybody gets sick. Okay, everybody at one time or another may have, but does that mean they have to live under such a rule? No. There's many people like Brother Hagin. There's many people like Lester Summerall. I can't tell you the last time. Oh, Kathy might be able to remember. I don't. I can't tell you the last time I dealt with any form of a cold or flu or that type of sickness or disease. I know what to do when that stuff knocks at my door. Not bragging on me, I'm bragging on Jesus. Bragging on what he did. He, he set me free from the works of darkness. And he set you free from the works of darkness. And you don't have to live with it. But you got to see yourself differently. You cannot see yourself carnally. Verse 6 again. To be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is what? What is it? Oh, come on, man. <clears throat> to be spiritually minded is what? So now you come under what? What verse 2 says. You come under this rule of the spirit of life. How do I do that? You have to deal with your mind. We're going to talk more about that Wednesday night, but I wanted you to see that. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is what? The carnal mind are thinking according to the flesh. That's opposed to the way God thinks. Carnal mind, enmity, opposed. If you think carnally, you're not thinking at all like God thinks. God doesn't think carnally. God thinks spiritually which is far above the carnal level of life. Notice again, he says, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not what? Subject to the law of God. Now, what's that mean? The rule of God. It is not subject to the rule of God. Why? Because you're not thinking right. If you're, if you're thinking carnal, you're going to be subject to what? You're going to be subject to the, the law of sin and death. But if you think spiritual, what are you going to do? You're not going to be subject to the law of sin and death. You're going to be what? Under the, the rule of the law of the spirit of life. <clears throat> to be carnally minded is uh, enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Listen. So then those who are in the flesh cannot do what? <clears throat> How do you please God? It's only one way. <clears throat> only one way. Do you please God by making sure you never miss a church service? No. Nope. Do you please God by making sure you never say something you shouldn't say out of your mouth? Nope. Do you please God by never doing something you know God doesn't want you to do in your life? Nope. How do you please God? Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, there's only one way. By faith. By faith. What's faith mean? We put trust in who God says we are, what God says we have, what God says we can do. Why do you think I have you confess that all the time? We, by walking by faith, and what's our faith in? I want you to get this. Your faith is based on the word of God, but it's in the blood of Jesus. Make that separation. Your faith is in the word, what God said, but what's it based on? The blood. It's based on the blood of Jesus. Because I didn't make myself righteous, Jesus did. Did you make yourself righteous? No. Who did? Jesus did. So if we're carnally minded, what are we not going to walk in? Faith. If we're spiritually minded, what are we going to walk in? Faith. And if we walk in faith, how many understand if you're walking in faith, what are you going to live under the rule of? Spirit of life. The spirit of life. How many want to do that? I said, how many want to do that? So let's define before we could go. We'll come back to this on Wednesday night because we just won't have time tonight. But I got to define this for you so you understand it. Go to Galatians 3. Please, Galatians chapter 3. We got to fully understand what are these works of darkness. What are these works of evil, works of Satan? 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What are they? What are the works of the devil? 
So there's multiple ways we can view this, multiple ways we can see it, multiple ways we can find it out. We can find it out through Genesis to some degree, but the, the greatest way, notice how many times he kept referring to the law. When the Mosaic law would come, things would change. So from Adam to Moses, did death still reign in the earth? Works of darkness was still reigning. What God did under Moses by giving them a Mosaic law, they had the ability through sacrifices offered, blood sacrifices they brought before God, and by doing what he told them to do in relationship to that law, they had the ability to actually get a covering from God, not a removal of their sin, but to therefore do what? To be able to help them to be free from those works of death. Now, they couldn't be totally liberated from it because they weren't born again, but you and I can. And I'll guarantee you the children of Israel are a great example of how Jesus did that because think about all those children over a million plus in the wilderness in the whole time they were there, their clothes never ran out. Never wore out, never ran out of a, of a clothes to wear, never had worn out clothes. They had all the provision they needed. You listening? They had all the ability to walk in health as long as they walked in obedience to God and did what was necessary according to the Mosaic law. But after the Mosaic law was established, guess what? Jesus then came. Aren't you glad? Jesus showed up as the ultimate sacrifice, and therefore he has now delivered us from the works of darkness. Watch this. Galatians chapter 3. You with me? In Galatians chapter 3, pick it up with me in verse 10 if you would. As many as are of the works of the law under the Old Testament are under the curse. Oh, they're still under the curse. In the time frame of the New Testament now, anybody trying to uphold the works of the law is still going to be under the effect of what? The curse, which involves again the works of darkness or the works of Satan. What came into the earth as we talked about this morning after man's sin? A curse. Through death this curse came. All those who are of the works of the law. You understand Galatians Paul's writing to a church at Galatia who themselves are now going back to the works of the law thinking they must do so to stay right with God. They've been born again, but to stay right with God, they're going back to these Old Testament works of the law to try to, they've been made right with God, but they're trying to stay right with God. Paul's trying to correct them because before this, which I don't have time to go through, we'll read a couple verses here. Look at verse two, same chapter. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit Holy Spirit, born again by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How'd you get it? By the hearing of faith, not the works of the law. He's talking about those who are now going back to these works. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Nope. Because if you could have done that before, you wouldn't have needed Jesus. Right? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Hearing of faith. So once again, God is going to do these things in your life, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did. You seeing yourself through the Spirit now and putting faith in Jesus Christ. Could I get an amen? So back down to verse 10. As many as are of the works of the law, they're under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. It was not possible for them to do so. 11. But that no one is justified, declared righteous, by the law, Old Testament Mosaic law, in the sight of God. It is evident for, underline it, the just shall do what? 
So if I'm now living by faith, what am I living under the rulership of? The Zoe life of God. The Zoe life of God. What if I'm not walking by faith in the blood of Jesus? You can still be affected, sadly, by the rule of darkness or the works of darkness. And yet Jesus has already liberated you from it. Verse 12, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall what? Live by them. He's simply telling them, if you're going to try to uphold the law, you can't violate any of it. To honestly to walk out what would have to be perfection before God. And the only one that could do that was Jesus. And that's why he came. Aren't you glad? So, verse 13, now he gets down to what, what, what this was all about. Notice, Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. So we read in Genesis... When man sinned, death came, and God said the earth is now what? Cursed. They allowed the curse of Satan to come into the earth. God didn't curse the earth. Adam did. And the literal person that brought that curse into the earth was Satan, which is the works of the devil that Jesus came to destroy. What did Christ do? He's redeemed us. Say, I'm redeemed. Act like you mean it. I'm redeemed. Act like you're happy about it. I'm redeemed. Christ has redeemed us. What's he redeemed us from? The curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who what? Now that's why he had to be crucified. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 14, that the blessing of Abraham. What did we talk about this morning in Genesis when God made man? What did he do? He cursed man? No, he blessed him. He blessed him. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in who? Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Once you receive the promise of the Spirit, new life, you can now walk by faith and live under the rule of what we know now as the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So, verse 13, what did Christ redeem us from? Curse of the law. So, this is what we call the works of darkness or the works of Satan. The curse of the law means if they did not uphold all of what the law required, the curse that was in the earth spoken of in Genesis that happened because Adam opened the door for that curse to come would affect their life. If they upheld what they needed to of the law, then literally that curse could be held back from them. But Jesus didn't make it a way for us just to have it held back from us. He made a way for us to be liberated from it. So I want you to see this. The word redeemed here, this is powerful. Christ has redeemed us. I want you to get this. This means to simply liberate by a payment of a price to recover from the power of another. To liberate by a payment of a price to recover from the power of another. Jesus liberated us by the payment of the price he gave, which was his shed blood, to do what? To recover from the power of another. We were under the power of sin. We were under the power of Satan and the power of the curse and the works of darkness. What did Jesus do? He redeemed us. He did what? Liberated us from the power of another. You no longer have to be under any form of the rule or the power of darkness or the works of darkness. 1 John 3, 8, because Jesus did what? He came and destroyed them. He came and liberated us from them. And that's what verse 13 is telling you. Christ has redeemed us from this curse of the law because he did what? Became a curse for us. So let's finish tonight in Deuteronomy 28. Where in the world do we learn about this curse of the law? What exactly are we liberated from relating to the works of darkness? So the works of darkness 
also are referred to as what was known of the curse in the earth, which in their case, if they did not uphold the law in the Old Testament, that curse would affect their life. But he redeemed us from that curse totally, meaning what? We no longer have to uphold the law. His blood sacrifice once and for all took care of that. And thank God we can now walk in liberty from this curse that's in the earth. So in Deuteronomy 28, there's no way we could read all these verses tonight and go through it. You can study it later yourself. But God speaking to the children of Israel in Moses' day, in Deuteronomy, he tells them the difference between, on, on the relationship to the Mosaic law, he tells them the difference between if you obey the Mosaic law, the words, the commands I've given you, you're going to walk in all these blessings. If you don't, you're going to walk in, a, in effect, you're going to be affected by these curses on the earth. I'm not cursing you. You're, no, you're just not doing what I've given you privilege to do to not be affected by that curse. In Christ, all the context of what was in the works of the law has been taken away from us because Jesus fulfilled what was needed. So he has given us the ability to walk free from the works of darkness, which are known as the curse that's in the earth. In their day in Deuteronomy, that would be in their life affected by their aspects of their walk with God if they did not uphold the law. We don't have to uphold the law. Jesus fulfilled it. So we can walk in the same liberty. Could I get an amen on that? So you'll see in verse 1, he starts off to them talking about, It shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these what? All these blessings shall come upon you and do what? So how do we partake of these in the New Testament? He told you, the just shall live by faith. Not the, not the upholding of the Old Testament law because Jesus fulfilled it. But by our faith in the blood of Jesus, guess what we walk in? The blessings of God. By putting faith in who we now are in Christ Jesus. Seeing ourselves from the Spirit, not the flesh. See, that's hard for us because even from a perspective of, of just a human, somehow you feel like you got to earn this. Somehow. And religion makes you think you have to. See, there's two basic balances of what we do not want to get over into in relationship to walking with God, of which the Bible's clear about. We got to stay down the middle of the road as New Testament believers. And for all the whole history of the New Testament, these two off-end balances going to the right or to the left have always been around. People have gotten off the middle of the road and they've gone over into the right ditch, which is the right ditch of religion. And what that means is forever and ever and ever, since the time of the New Testament, people have taught, if you don't live perfect before God, he's going to get mad at you. He'll get you for that. He can't heal you. If you're in sin, God can't heal you. Oh, wait a minute, I have a question. Who did Jesus heal in the New Testament? Sinners. What were all those people being healed in the New Testament? What was the nature of their heart? They had sinful hearts. You know why they got healed? You know why they got healed? Two reasons. They believed he could do it, and they believed he would do it. Go read the New Testament. Everybody in the Gospels, if they believed he could do it, and that he would do it, guess what they got? Healed. Not because of what they had or hadn't done. Can I get a better amen? How do we get healed? Same way. We believe God. Now listen, you, you know clearly, because we already just read 1 John 3. If we go to practice in sin, is that going to affect our life? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. If I go to practicing sin sexually, can that affect my health? You better believe it can. Now, God didn't cause that to happen. 
You just simply chose to do what? Open the door for that to happen by doing something that you gave way to. But the way you walk in the liberty of all this is by faith in Jesus Christ. Could I get an amen on that? Notice this. So in all the aspects of the blessings he talks to them about, and there are many, you and I have that same privilege to walk in those blessings by faith in Jesus Christ. The just shall. But verse 15, he starts talking about the curses. So in verse 15, he says, It shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you. And what? So these are what is known as the curse of the law. If you don't uphold the law, this is what the Bible says. What did it say in Galatians 3.13? Tell me again, please. Christ redeemed you, paid the price. Come on. Already paid the price and not going to liberated you from the rule of all of what came about as the result of the curse of not upholding the law. Say, I've been liberated. So he tells them, notice again, verse 15, all these curses will come upon you and they will overtake you. God's not cursing them. It's the curses here, but they're going to affect your life in the Old Testament if you don't uphold what was necessary of the law. Now he starts off saying, curse shall you be in the city, curse shall you be in the country. doesn't matter where you live. Curse shall be your basket, your kneading bowl. Curse shall be the fruit of your body, produce of your land, increase of your cattle, offspring of your flocks. Curse shall you be when you come in. Curse shall you be when you go out. Under redemption, walk into the light of who I am as a child of God. What can I now say? I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed whether I live in the country. I'm blessed where I live in the city. doesn't matter where I live. If I'm where God wants me, I've already got the blessing of God, praise the Lord. So it doesn't matter where I live. Now, I'm going to give you specific verses that address the three things. Every scholar agrees when you study out all the curses, you're going to see three categories actually dealt with in these three, in these three aspects of, excuse me, in these, uh, a, the aspect of the curse of law. Three things are going to come up. Verse 20, the Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do. Why? Because they're not upholding the law. Until you are what? Destroyed. And until you perish quickly because of what? The wickedness of your doings in which you have what? Forsaken me. Verse 20 refers to the first part of what we've been redeemed from under the New Testament. So they would be destroyed, literally lose their very existence, meaning what? Removed from God and his presence relating to me and you. Number one, spiritual death. Spiritual death. What did Jesus redeem you from? The works of the law. He came to destroy the works of Satan, excuse me, the curse of the law. Jesus came to destroy the works of darkness, which refers to the curse in this earth that came upon those who did not uphold the law. What's the first thing we've been redeemed from or liberated from? Spiritual death. This does not affect us because, again, we're redeemed based on what we've done. Nope. Based on our faith in what Jesus has done. Amen? So verse 20 refers to a type of death in which in the New Testament, now, this is absolutely proven through the New Testament and all of Scripture. We need to read the Old Testament, but we need to read it in light of what? The New Testament. That's, that, te- that word testament means what? Covenant. There was an old covenant, but now we have a new covenant. Does it mean everything in the old covenant's gone? Absolutely not. What did Galatians 3.14 say? That the blessing of Abraham. Where is the blessing of Abraham found? In the old covenant. So it doesn't mean the old covenant doesn't apply to us. We've got to look at it in light of this new covenant we have with God. 
So under the new covenant, this refers to spiritual death. The fact that they would be utterly destroyed until they perish quickly, that's the loss of life. And that for us would be the loss of what? Spiritual life. That would refer to the spiritual death. Now within that, if you've lost true life, which is losing God's presence, losing the spiritual aspect of what God gave us of life, therefore separated from God. If you've, lose, if you've lost that spiritual life, what else have you lost? Your identity in God. So this is what I refer to all the time in relationship to what we talk about, about the aspect of spiritual death. It's not just losing eternity and no longer having God in your life. It's losing everything that came with it, which includes your identity. So thank God we have now gained our identity back. Because of what? Spiritual life. Because of the fact we've been redeemed in Jesus' name. As he goes on down through these curses, if you go down to verse 38, again, you can read the whole thing later if you want. Just You'll see these categories come up in the whole context of what he says. All of these things will fall under three categories. For them, it related to a type of death. For us, that's spiritual death. The second thing you'll see over and over again relating to poverty and lack. Poverty and lack. How do we know that that's specifically relating to what Jesus delivered us from, from the works of darkness? Because 2 Corinthians 9 says, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 8 says, Jesus was made poor that we might be made rich. Now, I know people that will say that spiritually. We're never to take a verse out of its setting. If you go read all of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, guess what it's talking about? Talking about finances. It's talking about money. Jesus wants you what? Having more than enough. He don't want you to barely get by. Well, Jesus was poor. Who told you that? Who told you Jesus was poor? I'll tell you who did. A false shepherd who came through the wrong place. Like we talked about this morning. Was Jesus poor? Let's just, let's just go through a couple simple verses. If Jesus was poor, why do you need a treasurer? There is no reason to have a treasurer. You have no money. So if you have no money, you don't need a treasurer to keep account of the money you got. Right? And the guy's stealing from the treasury. And they still had enough to feed people all the time. How do we know this? Because on the night he was betrayed and Judas left, he's the treasurer. What did all the other disciples think? He must be going to feed the poor. Well, they would have thought that had they not done that all the time. How do you feed the poor with no money? You don't. Jesus was not poor. The Bible says in the Gospels that literally Herod's wife and Chusa's wife, two of the top governing officials of the day, guess what they were doing? Go read your Bible. They were giving offerings, the Bible says, to Jesus. These weren't small offerings, folks. Think of who they're coming from. You know, they were convicted of heart of knowing that this was truly the Messiah. And they were blessed in helping Jesus and his disciples to travel and preach the gospel by giving offerings to him. Why in the world do we need to know when Jesus was crucified... All about the articles that he had on it. Why do we need to know that? There's nothing in the Bible without significance. And the Bible says the Roman soldiers cast lots for his undergarment. What in the world is that all about? Why do Casting lots means like rolling the dice or whatever to say who, who gets that. Why did they want that undergarment? I'll tell you why. Because it was a one-piece undergarment. There was two types in their day, a one-piece and a two-piece. And the one-piece was all hand-woven, handmade, very expensive, not cheap. Jesus didn't wear cheap clothes. I'll guarantee you what, he himself purchased very expensive clothes. So understand this, he himself was not poor. I'd like a better amen than that. Now, we don't focus on money, right? Literally, the love of money is what? It's the root of all evil. We're not to love money, but if we don't truly desire to walk in the blessings of God, how blessed was Abraham? 
No, come on, church. How blessed was Abraham? He was so blessed, him and Lot, the land wouldn't even hold all the cattle they had any longer. Lot was dumb. Lot was stupid. Lot had all that he needed. Should he have separated? No. Get rid of some of those cattle. Give them away. It's not like he didn't have enough already. Are you listening? But see, that's what happens when greed sets in. And all you want is more. I'm going to tell you right now, Lot and uh, Abraham were not poor people. And Lot was blessed because of Abraham. Abraham was a rich dude. Solomon was a rich dude. Are you listening? Why? Because Solomon wanted to help God's people. He wasn't about money. He was wanting to do the work of God. Well, wouldn't God do the same for you under the new covenant? So we've been delivered from poverty and lack. Notice this, verse 38. You're still with me? So moving on through these curses, he says to them, you shall carry much seed out to the field. So they'll take, how did they, how did they walk in prosperity? Planting seed, seeing harvest come. You will take much seed out in the field and gather in what? That's poverty. You'll plant a lot, but it won't, it won't return to you. It won't produce for you. For the locust shall do what? Consume it. That's part of the curse. That's part of the work of Satan. Verse 39, you shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall do what? Eat them, part of the curse of the earth. Verse 40, you shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for the olives will sh shall do what? They'll rot and drop off. So what is verse 38, 30, uh, 39, and 40? There's other verses, but these are the ones I'm focusing on. What do they reveal as a part of the curse of law? Poverty and lack. You're working hard, but you're getting no results for it. Matter of fact, you're losing all the harvest. For them, that's poverty. And therefore, they had what? Lack. But guess what? You've been redeemed yes. from the curse that would come to them if they did not uphold the law. And redeemed means I'm no longer under the power of poverty. Come on. God's giving you the ability to get wealth, the Bible says. So thank you, Jesus. He has delivered us. We have to start seeing ourselves the way God does. As those who are highly favored of God, we don't love money. We're not after money. We're out to obey God. And if you put the kingdom of God first on your priority list, what will happen? All the things you have need of will be added unto you. Down to verse 47, he goes on to say, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord your God will send against you, what? In hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you, your enemy. So here again is still the works of what? Poverty and lack. All of what we are no longer to be under the rule of, rule under. What causes Christians to still live under such a rule? Mindset. We're going to learn it next Wednesday night. Mindset. They're still carnally minded. Now drop down to verse 61. I don't have time, but you have time. You can read through all these things that are listed in here. Every type of, dark, uh, every type of uh, work of darkness referring to sickness and disease. So what's the third thing we've been redeemed from? All sickness and all dis-ease in your body. That would include pain and suffering. What have, been, what have we been redeemed from? Spiritual death, poverty and lack, and the third one, sickness. And You look at every aspect of the curse and the work of Satan in the earth and you'll see it attacking one of these three areas. Separating people from God, causing them to live in spiritual death, 
causing them to have what? Sickness and disease take over their bodies or causing them to live in poverty and lack. But thank God Jesus did what? Liberated from, liberated us from that. He destroyed the works of darkness. These are all works of darkness, part of the curse. So there are so many different things that are listed in here, scabs and plagues and all kinds of stuff. But this wraps it all up, verse 61, okay? Verse 61 proves that this is part of the curse of the law you've been redeemed from. Also, every sickness and every plague, every what? Sickness and every what? Which is not even written in the book of the law, which the Lord, notice this, which uh, will the Lord bring upon you until you're what? Now, I've taught you this before, but you need to also understand the wording here. When it talks about the Lord bringing it upon them, did he really bring it upon them? Nope. There's a Hebrew verb here in which all Hebrew scholars will tell you it's very difficult to translate into the English language. It is not a verb that is causative. It's a verb that is permissive. As an example, if you as a parent had a child in your kitchen and you had a hot, sto- you know, hot stove on and you, t- you tell that child, don't touch that hot stove and you turn your back and your child touches that hot stove and burns themselves, did you cause it? No, you didn't. Did you in a form permit it? You did in a form permit it because you didn't stand over and watch over them and stop them from doing it. So you permitted them to make that choice to put their hand on that hot stove. Why did they get their hand burned? Because they chose to violate what you were trying to protect them from. Amen. And so they burned their hand. Did, did the parent cause it? No. no. Parent even warned them not to do it. But the parent has to allow it at some point. Why? Because you can't stand to hold your kid's hand all their life. They're going to have to make choices. Correct? God's the same way with us. So understand in the context of the Hebrew language, when it talks about these things where it says God will bring these on you, that's not the Hebrew word there. The Hebrew word is God will have to allow it because of your choices. The curse is already here. Because of your choices, God has no choice. He has to allow you to be affected by it because you didn't do what he said in the Old Testament to stay free from that. Under the New Testament, what do we got to do? We got to become spiritually minded. We got to become a people of faith who truly understand this and walk in the light of who we are, seeing ourselves as the way God does. And if we do so, guess what we'll do? We'll walk in freedom from the rule of the works of darkness, which Jesus destroyed. I said, we'll walk in freedom from the works of darkness. What are the works of darkness? Spiritual death, poverty and lack, sickness and disease. How does spiritual death still affect, affect the believer today? If they're born again, they're not spiritually dead. True. But how many don't walk in their true identity? Many don't walk in their true identity because they don't really know who they are. But thank God we can. I said, thank God we can. So redeem means that again, a price was paid. To do what? To liberate you from the power of another. Can I show you one more verse in closing? Bonus verse. You came all the way out here on Sunday night. I'll just read it real quick, but we'll, that's why I told you Wednesday night I'll have to finish this up. Go to 1 Peter real quick. 1 Peter 1. Come on, 1 Peter chapter 1. Say Jesus. I know this is a lot to get in. Normally I would take like about two, three weeks to go through what I just went through tonight. So I understand it's a lot, but I want you to understand we're just simply helping you be reminded of why Jesus came. Why did he come? To destroy the works of the devil. 
Clearly, according to Romans 5, we no longer have to be under the rule of death, works of the devil. We can now live under the, the rule of what? The spirit of life. Come on, somebody. That is in Christ Jesus. What's the spirit of life? Zoe. Life as God has it. How does God have life? He's not spiritually dead. He has no poverty or lack. He has no sickness or disease. Nor do you have to. I said, nor do you have to. I love the fact that people like Brother Hagin learned it, even in relationship to healing and health. He said, I would go five years at a time, not even know I had a body. No pain. No suffering. No disease. No sickness. One of the things I learned to deal with early on, that there's certain aspects of where you can grow in your faith, that I learned to deal with early on in my life, I don't have headaches anymore. I can't tell you the last time I had one. Can't even tell you. Because I finally decided, you know what? If I can't learn to understand and develop my faith, to see myself in the eyes of God as already healed from a headache, how am I going to deal with anything else? And I learned how. I renewed my mind. I learned that I'm liberated from it. I don't have to put up with it. I don't have to live with it. Thank you, Jesus. I said, thank you, Jesus. And this is why you want somebody to kind of help you that's been there, done that. Knows what they're talking about. First Peter. I want you to see this. First Peter chapter 1, real quick. Still with me? Verse 18. Let's just cut right to the chase for the sake of time. Knowing that you were not redeemed. So we were redeemed. Galatians 3.13 said so. Christ did what? Redeemed you. So this is what this is referring to. Knowing. You need to know this. I need to know it. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You were redeemed, but not with corruptible things. Like silver or gold, which we seem to value so much from your aimless conduct, which don't even compare to what we were redeemed from. Notice, received by the tradition of your father. So you were not redeemed with gold and silver from your aimless conduct that you received how? Through the tradition from your fathers. In other words, the sinful nature that's been passed down. You've been redeemed from it. I said you've been redeemed from it, but not with gold or silver. 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. You're going to be redeemed. One day, when you get to heaven. (laughs) No, you already are. Notice this, but you were redeemed with what? The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without what? Blemish and without spot. Children of God, we've got to learn who we are because of that blood. We've got to learn to put faith in that blood alone to walk in victory over the works of darkness because it was that blood that destroyed the works of darkness. Why? Because there is no forgiveness of sin and removal of sin without the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood made it possible for us to walk in victory over the works of darkness. No believer should have to be living under any form of the rule of spiritual death, poverty and lack, sickness and disease. It should be a thing of the past. You should be walking under the rule of the spirit of life. Life as God has it that is in Christ Jesus. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, 
just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours. Thank you.